When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On this episode of Bootleg, we have one of the best football minds in the game, bar none. Ladies and gentlemen, we got her. Mina Kimes is on Bootleg next. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Bootleg Football. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder, up and down the West Coast here. I'm in L.A., he's in Seattle, uh, and uh, we, we both share a connection to our guest today, the great Mina Kimes, you know, probably the most famous Seahawks fan out there, who also happens to live down here in SoCal because, uh, you know, her day job is just a little thing called ESPN. So she took uh, she took some time this afternoon after doing all of her normal television duties to hop on bootleg and talk about NFL draft with us. We are not going to waste any time getting into this thing. So uh, Jay, let's roll it. The great Mina Kimes joining us here on bootleg. First things first, Mina, how you doing? Fresh off TV today? Yeah, I'm good. Um, bootleg was actually the original name of the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. But really, yeah, I had to, I changed it like three or four episodes in back in, I don't know, when I was 2018, I think is when I started it, um, because there was another podcast called Bootleg that sent a bunch of threatening emails and that I don't think they exist anymore. I, I, don't, I think it was pretty short lived, but anyways, well, it's a good EJ, name. We should notify our lawyer that might, that might be coming down the pipe. I think you're good. Here. I think you're good on that one. Uh, but yeah, so I, yeah, I like it. I like it as a name. Well, uh, between the pod and TV and, you know, everything that comes with draft season, all the hype, all the speculation, all the exhaustion, uh, as an analyst, what, what is your, your favorite part of this whole kind of magical three-month period? You know, I, I, this is kind of dorky, but during the NFL season, I'm so busy uh, that I really don't get a chance to really watch college football. You know, I watch, like, you know, I, I'm... I watch the Washington Huskies pretty regularly. I watch the big games, obviously the playoffs and all of that. And it, but I don't really get to dig into a lot of these guys. So for me, it's genuinely fun just to be like, oh, that's the guy you guys were so excited about. Okay, I see why. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, oh man, wow. Okay, you know, Christian Gonzalez. Okay, wow, damn. All right, I can see it or whoever. So it, it's a fun. It's just like a fun experience because of the discovery side of it. And then, you know, so much of the draft is, the draft rather, pre-draft process, I should say, is about projections and who's going to be right and who's going to be wrong. I just like thinking about how these guys will fit on NFL teams because, again, so much of my life is focused on the NFL side of things. And this is when, you know, college football and NFL merge. Uh, But I tend to watch these players 
thinking about that with an eye, you know, for how they might fit into the NFL. And, you know, that to me is very fun and exciting, especially when it comes to, you know, quarterbacks or players who have the opportunity to turn around an entire franchise. Yeah, especially in this year's class, too, because I think everybody loves Young and Stroud at the top. But it's like, but mm. where where do they fit? You know, like, what is what is Frank Reich like? You know, that type of stuff. Yeah, and no one seems to have any idea, which makes it like one of the, <laughs> I, I think, one of the more fun drafts in recent memory because, you know, you guys know this. Like, I, I'm seeing mocks in just about every order when it comes to the quarterbacks at this point. And, and also usually like it's pretty early there's still a month left um but it does feel like there's plenty of smoke around that number one overall pick and it could go in a bunch of different directions you have to give me your honest reaction to seeing hendon hooker mocked at fifth overall to the hawks today (laughs) i I was surprised that mike mike tannenbaum usually pretty um pretty by the book went there um that that i would i'm not saying that i would you know I don't know. I'm trying to think of something not super violent. Um, <laughs> crash a monster truck into the VMAC if that happened, but it would. Let's just say it wouldn't be my desired outcome for the Seahawks. Do you have a, a least favorite part of the the draft process? Uh, you know, I think actually, you know, I was gonna say it's it's the fear of being wrong and sort of the backlash that comes with that. And I've been wrong many times about plenty of players, as has have most people who cover the draft. Frankly, it's it's as do our most NFL teams. But that's not really true. Um, I would actually say it's the mocking side of it. Like I, hmm. um, you know, I'll do a mock draft and I and I read them, but I'm not a reporter, so I, I I'm I actually really prefer talking about what I think teams should do versus what they will do. Personally, again, that's just because of how I approach things. So when I'm on a show and they say, "What's Carolina gonna do?" I'm usually like, I don't know. <laughs> I can tell you what I would do if I was Carolina. Um, you know, I can try to guess based on, um, you know, the coaching history and their comments and things they've said and, and the things I've heard and the mocks I trust, but that's not really my specialty. Yeah, well, you fit in around here just perfectly then because <laughs> that's the way that we look at it as well is focusing on what we know, which is player skills and how those roles translate and it is a very different eye to watch college players versus pro players and a lot of college fans don't understand that we get to explain it to them that's a great college skill set we'll see how it plays in the pros but you've been doing this for a long time now what's the most significant change over time that you've seen in this whole draft process and really in the way that the teams approach it oh um I definitely think teams have wised up on positional value in the draft even over the last five years, frankly. The discourse around Bijan Robinson this year is probably a good case study for that. If um, Bijan was, you know, in the draft five, certainly 10 years ago, um, I don't think you would see as much skepticism about him going 10, 15. I say that, maybe he does go 10 or 15. (laughs) But, you know, talking to not just um, other analysts, but, you know, people around the league, Everyone kind of gets it now, uh, yeah. you know, when it comes to and it's and, and I think people also do a good job of um, understanding the distinction between positional value and, and player value and um, opportunity cost and concepts like that, that frankly, like really were not um, mainstreamed and even amongst, again, people on teams sometimes, you know, felt differently 
not that long ago. So I think there's a better understanding of that throughout. I think teams tend to draft smarter now than they did um, in the past. I think fans are much more educated about all of these things as well, which puts pressure on us to kind of speak to them at a higher level. Do you feel like uh, the discourse around running back, at least from outside looking in, it feels like it's it's kind of settled at a middle ground now where it's like, okay, it's fine to draft them, just don't pay them. Is that kind of where you're at too? Yeah, you know, those early draft picks are pretty expensive. I mean, if you're a running back taken in the top 10, you're instantly one of the highest paid running backs in the league, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I think though that's a little complicated by the opportunity cost side of things when it comes to the draft, especially when you're talking in the first round, because it's not just about the financial cost, right? It's about what else could you have done with that pick? What other contract could you have gotten that is much, you know, a rookie cornerback or offensive tackle who excels is so much more valuable compared to mm-hmm. a comparable player, a veteran, right? And so I think that's what kind of muddies that, again, when it comes to guys like Robinson as well. Um, the other thing I'll say is I think, like, this may be actually still a little bit more divisive, but I think uh, teams generally are less, well, I don't know, I guess Edward Zolaire wasn't that long ago, but the concept of, like, a luxury pick <laughs> Um, I find just talking to people, there's a lot more skepticism around that understanding, you know, how quickly depth runs out in the NFL, how you should be constantly replenishing at certain positions. Um, I think that that is something that's becoming a little bit clearer for people, too. And I I think as we have gotten more cognizant of how contracts work, you know, it used to be like, oh, okay, there's like a four or five year window. You don't have to replace a guy for four or five years. And I think now fans have starting to started to wise up of like, well, most contracts are really two years. Like very few players ever get three plus years of guaranteed money unless they're Kirk Cousins. Right. So it's like, we're only really sure what's going to be happening till 2025. And then all bets are off. Yeah. Um, And a hundred percent. And so I think, I think that contracts plays into it as well. I think it's a really good point. I think fans understand contracts and how they work a lot better than they did again even like five or ten years ago and that affects the draft because you know you're not just drafting the player you're drafting the player at a set contract that may or may not be an incredible value for the franchise and um, all of these things obviously factor into the decisions you mentioned Christian Gonzalez uh, a little bit ago like okay yeah I see what you guys have have been saying about him Uh, was either him or any other player was there somebody that you know you got like one game in and you fell in love I actually was same position but not Gonzalez and I feel like I've tweeted him about him a lot so it's not a huge surprise but Devin Witherspoon for me was the one <laughs> where um you know I didn't watch a lot of him during the regular season at all and just putting on his tape I think it was just like a couple games in I was just laughing because um just the level of physicality he plays with just leaps off the screen. Um, and I, I think it goes like, he's a really complete player and I, and I'd be very curious to see, by the way, I think him versus Witherspoon is a really fascinating debate and one that could, I, I, you could really, I think mount an argument for either based on traits, size, tape, oh, all yeah. of that fit. Um, but Witherspoon was the one where I was just, there's nothing I pers- I have a personal affinity for players who, um, like think they're much bigger than they are <laughs> if that makes sense <laughs> I was like I, I was joking about it with Marcus Spears I work with I was like he reminds me of like my, my dog like Lenny <laughs> I, I'm convinced my dog who's 18 pounds thinks he's like a pit bull the way he acts around other dogs 
and um, just the way with Witherspoon hits, I ha- I just know, and I've actually talked to some guys around the league. That's just such catnip for defensive coaches, <laughs> and it's and, and you know he's very technically sound as well. So that's that's a player that I'm really excited to see in the NFL. Yeah, physical DBs one of my personal hooks witherspoon we do an offensive and defensive 10 gem series witherspoon was one of mine and it took about three quarters of a tape before i was like uh (laughs) he's probably got a spot and then you go through the rest of that illinois secondary and it's there's some there's some other sleepers in there too you're like what a fun defense to watch by the way again just that guy's good and that guy's good and holy cow (laughs) the third guy's really good too single high all the chaos around the line of scrimmage just dudes blitzing like crazy either that was one of my favorite team watches too but when you have a whole nfl secondary in college you can kind of just run whatever you want so yeah yeah and maybe he'll uh, join his former teammate in detroit we'll see we'll see on the flip side of that when sometimes we we see players and i, I always need to be careful because i do a lot of my tape watching late at night and sometimes with headphones to keep the sound down and then i find myself laughing out loud my son will come in he's like dad keep it down because i'm screaming is there on the flip side a player that you're struggling with in this class that you just can't for whatever reason could be fit at the next level that we talked about skills that you don't see on tape but you think they might have anybody that you just can't quite figure i'll stick with kind of early first or i guess first round generally um i'm having a lot of trouble with uh, Quentin Johnson, the TCU receiver, mm. and, and figuring out kind of where he stacks up in my my big board of wide receivers, I guess, and where I'd be comfortable taking him. Um, I just can't recall the last time I saw a guy who's who's being thought of, at mocked at that level and perceived that way, look so unnatural catching the football uh, at times. And when he has the ball in his hands, it's like majestic. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is truly a sight to behold. Like Quentin Johnson in the open field is a nightmare. And it is, and so I, and I say this all with some trepidation because um, the hands thing, you know, the, the drop rate and goes kind of beyond that though. Even when he does catch sometimes I'm like, oh, like you didn't have to jump there. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that was your body. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's easy for me to still figure like I can still envision a rookie season where he he's productive right because you know a bunch of maybe he has like some huge explosives and uh he lands with a team that's good at manufacturing touches for him I could see him turning a bunch of jet sweeps into big gains but you know when we're really trying to comp him and saying okay he's got all the traits he's got the size he's so good I don't know it's hard for me to think of a comp of a really a truly successful player who I felt that way watching just catching the football. I don't know. How do you guys feel about him? Well, it's a, it's a rare thing to get a 6'3", 6'4", receiver that jumps, what, 38, 40 inches, something like that. It has a 38% contested catch rate when most number one receivers in the NFL are between like 55 and 60%. Yeah. There's guys that are 5'10 in this class, like Josh Downs was a 70%, and you're like, how is he playing bigger than the 6'4 guy? Oh, he plays it's so a, big, yeah. It's a weird profile. It's a very weird profile, and not to not to name drop at all. But when I was down in Phoenix for Super Bowl, I was picking Steve Smith's brain about this receiver class because Steve has a type, and I brought up QJ, and even he was like, "I can't figure it out. I don't know. I really don't know." Yeah, I, I would love to hear from like a, a 
more receivers too about I guess whether you can improve in that regard um or maybe examples of players who who looked that way in college and then went on to you know move their hands in the NFL but again I'm 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 just nervous about it it's the hot cold nature of his tape because some plays you look at and you absolutely 100% see it beginning to end and you're like that play is in the NFL and then the next play you'll be like oh oh come on man (laughs) like you got to make that play even in college and you didn't and that's what worries people the farther you go up the more the risk increases and that's what's making people nervous right now is that hot to cold consistency that is going to be really difficult to deal with and the higher he's drafted the more people are going to be pressing him into service more quickly and that's not going to help with a situation like that Hmm. we'll see i don't know i i (laughs) i think last i had him maybe third or fourth um it's just the traits are so uh rare the combination of traits that you get nervous about you don't want to you don't want to be the person who misses out on that potential but yeah it, it it's feels just, it's... so kevin white like that's what it feels like to me and i'm Ooh. like Ugh, i don't know yeah <laughs> i don't know kevin, um uh... in terms of uh you know everybody likes certain positions or maybe they have a higher hit rate at certain positions like i myself am horrible at quarterback uh this is Personally, for me, for context, I did not have Justin Herbert as a first-round pick. I did not have Pat Mahomes as a first-round pick. Uh, but, boy, I love Christian Hackenberg coming out, so <laughs> I'm great at that. Uh, but I'm really good at safety. Do you have a particular Ooh. position that, that you feel strong at or maybe that it's just tough? I'm mean, quarterback so hard. Like, don't be – it's so context-dependent. I, 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 I thought Herbert should go in the first round, but I was pretty – dubious about him based on his college tape and even uh, acknowledging the context like I, I knew I was like I know this is a bad situation I know this offense sucks I know you're not being asked to do a lot but I just don't feel like there's enough there you know and I was mm-hmm. d- dead wrong I said it to him um so yeah quarterback is always tricky um as far as things that I like watching I love watching cornerbacks in general and I feel like I it's pretty rare for me to like love a cornerback and not see him pan out uh, to at least some degree in the NFL. I, I think um, Dominique and I talk a lot about Jeff Okuda being a guy that we mm-hmm. absolutely loved in college. And injuries have clearly played such a role there that it's kind of hard to separate his up and down NFL career from that. But even separate from the injuries when he's been healthy, I'm like, damn, I thought you would be like one of the three I thought it would be like Jalen Ramsey like you know yeah. like level um tier so but, but but for the most part I think like the guys uh who have gone on to be really good in the NFL are guys that I was pretty excited about in college I was with Yana Kuda <laughs> everybody can't... was he, dude he was yeah. like created in a lab to play cornerback like he was oh, so absolutely. good in college he was nuts his his college tape was difficult to grade because you were looking for what he couldn't do well and yeah. there wasn't really anything you put in that column that you didn't force there um you got to consider again you said it about quarterbacks landing spot that first year landing spot in detroit they got apparently just kind of said hey do whatever you want you're good and obviously that doesn't work for a new player in the new league so player that you secretly want the seahawks to draft the most Oh, man. 
Well, okay. So, I mean, the ones, like, the non-secret ones are, like, you know, like, <laughs> if Will Anderson is there at five, <laughs> I will personally <laughs> try pick up John Schneider and Pete Carroll, put John Schneider in a little sidecar, Pete can sit behind me, and I'll just drive to the podium. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm in a group chat with um, a couple Seahawks fans, friends, Danny Kelly and Jackson Bevins, both of whom are great followers on Twitter, and we talk about this a lot, and I think we share one, which is... Uh, for pick 20, I haven't really talked about this. We would all be over the moon if the Seahawks got Jackson Smith and Jigba at 20. Oh, yeah. I don't know where he's being mocked right now. You guys can tell me if that's a total pipe dream. Um, it's not. It's actually semi-sort of realistic-ish. It's such a need for them. Um, I mean, obviously, pass rush is the greatest need on this roster, and interior offensive line is there, too. But wide receiver three quietly need something that they've really struggled to address in the draft with ds Gridge not really panning out you know and uh marquise goodwin who's really their number three wide receiver left um i just think jsn's skill set would pair so well with metcalf and lockett um and you know i, I think that's something the seahawks have kind of struggled with even from wilson to even geno smith is getting yards after the catch over the middle of the field um, and just having like a tough, shorthanded receiver, someone who I believe in Jigba can come into the NFL and produce right away, would be an incredible fit for that team. Yeah, it's possible. JSN <laughs> is is climbing, and it really depends on whether or not teams see him or somebody like Zay Flowers, who if you yeah. don't get Jackson Smith and Jigba, Zay would also look really nice as the third wide receiver in Seattle. Nice speed. Everybody's got one of these, a player that you are just hoping another team drafts so that Seattle doesn't at either of their first two picks. I guess Hendon Hooker is the one I got I to worry about. Um, well, at, least in the, at least in the first round. Yeah, well, when, when, I, when I thought, and it's not outside their own possibility that Seattle's going to take a quarterback at five. I think it's very realistic. Really depends on... Um, how things shake out but um when the, before they did the Geno deal we were like really I, I really was concerned about Levis at five to see the Seattle mm-hmm. I 100 don't think that's happening though so I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't put that there um I'll throw another one out there uh, a guy whose tape I have a lot of questions about and I think five would be a reach Miles Murphy out of out of Clemson I don't mm. think that's gonna happen but I've seen him kind of all over the place in the top halves of drafts. And um, I just don't – I feel like – no, I think he, um, he has the potential to be a good NFL player. I just think five would be really rich. Even, honestly, the top ten I wouldn't love. I, I have heard it floated – not to make you even more scared. I have heard it <laughs> floated that several teams have Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, and Miles Murphy with equivalent grades. So they could go in – different really? orders and mm. and you just gotta don't agree with that god yeah no i'm i'm there with you but there there are some teams that love miles murphy and it's it seems very not just possible probable that he's top 15 and who knows you know schneider yeah. can do some wacky things sometimes so I mean, we'll they, see. They, they have a history of really prioritizing athleticism i think tyree wilson's the one that i, I i'm like mm, i really don't think they would take it over Anderson. Maybe I'm wrong. Who also is like an incredible athlete. So like, but um, he's got such unusual traits, and in the past that's been very, very Seahawky. Yeah, he's got the length. Now we we mentioned 
early reactions to quarterbacks. Your reaction to the Daniel Jones pick was legendary, as it should have been, and we were right there with you, cringing all the way through it, saying, oh my God, Gettleman, what are you doing? Uh, Four years later, it's been okay results. Like, passable, they made the playoffs, right? You know, he's coming off the best year of his career. Brian Dable sure had a lot to do with that. And we spent all offseason saying, like, I don't know if the number on the beginning of his salary should start with a four. And then it did. And so kind of four years into it, with him getting a big money extension, even though it's technically only two years of real money, where do you feel like he is now as a player? And do you feel like there's still room for all of us to be wrong about this? Well, I mean, I already think I was wrong because he was already a better NFL player than I ever thought he would be. Um, whether he was worth pick, it was seven, right? Seven, six. six. Oh, six. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that was not a good quarterback draft. So you have to take that into consideration as well. Um, but I'll say this. I view him right now as like a pretty average quarterback, frankly. I'm dubious about whether that contract will be worth it if last season was the ceiling. Now his surroundings mm-hmm. were, you know, pretty it was it's a complicated thing to assess because on in one level he wasn't asked to do a ton in that offense. Um, and the offense was, you know, pretty catered to him. But then the other level, major issues, pass protection, obviously deficit of talent and skill players. So you kinda of have to factor in both those things and say, Okay, well if we improve his surroundings, can he take another leap? And if he takes another leap, then the contract will look great. You know, it's not I mean, in the grand scheme of things, as you said, not that much guaranteed money. Um, I coming out of college, I watched his college games, I didn't even think he would get here in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he has already outperformed my expectations. I already feel like I was incorrect pre-draft because my expectations were really, really, really low, uh, which is why I reacted the way that I did. Yeah, I mean, like most of us were pretty skeptical about it. Um, I think varying degrees of skepticism. Is it worth six? You know, that's different from compared to how I viewed him coming into the NFL, kind of. But um, yeah, I, 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 he's certainly improved a lot, and I think he deserves a ton of credit for that. I'm, I'm right there with you in the sense where it's like, can you be wrong for the right reasons and right for the wrong reasons, you know? And I I did not like the pick at all, but at the same time, with even since Daniel Jones has been drafted, there have been worse quarterback picks. Yeah. Like, Zach Wilson was taking it too, and he got how, – how many games as a starter before totally. he's out of town? You know, Daniel Jones, four years in as a sixth overall pick. He's still starting. It's all right. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Um I, it definitely taught me a lesson in terms of being presumptuous, but at the same but, time, I mean, <laughs> it, the, the, the Giants felt the way we did. They didn't give them the option. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't know what to say for people who are like, uh, you know, oh, how dare you guys think he wasn't good until this year? Literally, his own team felt that way, and they paid the price. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I was, I, I, I actually kind of regret being so memeable about it because I was, I was, I wasn't on TV too. I feel like everybody, th- I was just on a digital thing with my friends, but, um, not, a, you know, like I, I feel like it was a little over the top. And like I said, he, again, he's outperformed my expectations. And it's half and half too. It's 
half that reaction is Daniel Jones, the player and his college tape. And half that reaction is the giants yeah. in this economy. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm trying to remember who went after him. Let's see. That was a 2019. I think it was Cleland Furl. Then I can't remember. <gasps> that who one. Was five. Was just such whiplash when that was all going down. I was like, Furl? Um, okay. This was okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. No, sorry. Josh like, Allen Bobosa, was around there Kyler, too. Quinn. All, that was all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Josh Allen. The, Jacks, Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, uh, kind of a dubious draft. So, yeah, yeah. not exactly. Like it's funny because actually, the pick I was much worse about was Dexter Lawrence, who I actually liked as a player. But even at seventeen, I was like, ah, positional value. Yeah, that's something I've kind of reevaluated. I think that position, positional value, has really evolved in response to defensive scheme and all that. But um, he's been freaking awesome. So. I didn't um, like hate that pick, but I was like, oh. And I think to be, I'll be candid, I was just pretty dubious of Gettleman generally at that point. Um, yeah. But Lawrence has just been a freaking beast for them, man. He's so good. Also, we at that time we weren't used to nose tackles that could rush the passer. That never yes. entered our mind, you know. Yeah, we're yeah. still still bumping up against that this year with Keanu Benton and people thinking, oh, well, he's a nose tackle. He can't go in the first. It's like, have you seen him play? He might. <laughs> yeah. He might. So, hypothetical question for you. If it was used to earn the Seahawks another Super Bowl title, would you be willing to grant amnesty to the goal line fade? <laughs> yeah, sure. I <laughs> I feel like that um, – I haven't run the numbers on that lately. I think they're about the same in terms of the efficiency of it. But, um, God, As in it, not very? Not great. <laughs> There's certain players who I'll allow it for Mike Evans, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's fine. Oh, yeah. we'll we'll ramp up the difficulty. So the Seahawks get Quentin Johnston as the third receiver and throw him a goal line fade. How are we feeling now? I mean, that's Quentin Johnston as wide receiver three. You know, just jet sweeps and end arounds and the and that offense. Fine. I mean. <laughs> She's like the I'll copium. The it. copium. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, that would be that would be a crazy him and DK getting off the bus. Oh my god. Oh, it's yeah, it's all bus crazy. team for sure. Every receiver, well, other than Tyler, every receiver's like poor six, little Tyler plus. Lockett. Yeah. <laughs> He's so great. All right, we have a, a sixty-second speed round. We're gonna ask you single questions about your ESPN colleagues, and you have to pick one to participate in each of the following events and you can pick one for multiple categories but who of your espn colleagues fits best for solving and exiting an escape room dominic foxworth easy just very quick on his feet does not freak out ever i've actually done an escape room with bill barnwell uh (laughs) really I think so. I have. I think it was at the um at the Minneapolis Super Bowl at the Mall of America. I think we did one together. I'm not 100 sure. Did you make it's it out weird, of time? It's a weird fake memory. I'm terrible at them, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> what about selling as many Girl Scout cookies as possible to shoppers leaving a supermarket in one hour? Who would do Marcus that Spears. the fastest? Come on, Marcus Spears. You're not buying cookies from Marcus Spears. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so easy what is your ghost scout like uh samoas or i like, like samoas tag-alongs? they're always coming out with new i like tagalongs too they're always coming out with new ones which is confusing and i feel like the new ones are always kind of like dry 
but yeah, I have a colleague who's has like a daughter who sells them and I always get Samoas. Frozen thin mints, man. Mm. Can't go wrong. Not a mint mm. person. <laughs> uh, a speed eating contest. Okay, this is my surprise to you. Dan Orlowski. I realize it, he it does fam- surprise me. He's, well, well, the thing is, when you think about him, you think about eating bad food takes. That doesn't matter for oh. speed eating. We're just talking about pure speed. That man will sit down and just hoover food. I've seen him just crush like the worst <laughs> food you've ever seen, but he will crush it. Is he is he getting better about like the kimchi and, and no. what was the thing you made him eat in Vegas? <laughs> we went to Major Domo uh, in yeah. Vegas, which was, and he he loved everything. He's just like a baby. <laughs> it's fine. He'll get there. He'll get there. Uh, what about a weekend wilderness survival course? Um, I'm trying to think of colleagues I have who actually do outdoor stuff. I don't know if she even does outdoor stuff and she's like extremely pregnant, but I would still choose Laura Rutledge because she's the fastest problem solver. I probably should have done her for the escape room too. Um, (laughs) But she can like solve anything incredibly quickly. She's like super smart and super quick on her feet. Um, And I think she does like outdoor stuff actually. I've seen her camping and stuff. One final one. Using national speech and debate association rules in terms of debating an NFL rule change, oh. who could survive the best? Uh, probably Bomani, who's like oh, the that's best a good one. debater I've ever met. Yeah, I, I honestly, yeah. I honestly think you're the answer to this question. Uh, <laughs> you can't pick yourself, but if I was I picking know. somebody, I think I'd probably take you for the last one. Apologies for my dog going nuts. He probably is mad I didn't pick him for any of these um, <laughs> in the distance. Well, here, yeah. we'll, we'll make him happy. What's your 60-second scouting report on Lenny? I mean, Lenny, he's got that dog in him, you know? Um, <laughs> literally. Um, he's getting up in the years, but he's still pretty, like, he's got game speed. Fluid hips, which might surprise veterinarians always talking about how good his hips are. Um, I think he would probably play cornerback. He's got, like, that cornerback mentality, Uh, you know, forgets the last play, always thinking ahead, (laughs) always competing, Um, good ball skills at his size, Um, just natural agility. He's the toughest, toughest person, dog, I know. And great in the go. locker room, obviously. Team yeah. leader. I don't know about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I have to make stuff up. Yeah. All right. Oh, Toughest solid, question. Solid mid round pick, sounds like. Lenny fits right in that mid round conversation. All time favorite Seahawk. It's Marshawn Lynch. I mean, I, I, I could try to be cool and, you know, go back in time and choose someone from the 80s or when I grew up, the 90s. But honestly, Marshawn Lynch is the coolest player I've ever seen he's the coolest human being I've ever been around he's the only NFL player I've said who I've ever been genuinely starstruck by <laughs> um I like I don't know if you guys have ever been around him in person for the first of all the shocking Once. thing is he's he's big I think that's usually when you meet running backs they're like smaller than you th- he's like he's just big he's yoked too and yeah, yeah he's just super rock he, he just exudes cool it's Shock. It's like truly uh, intimidating, but the best, best guy. Every time I go up to Seattle, too, because EJ lives up there, like I still probably see more Marshawn jerseys than anybody else around town. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, Marshawn for president. I mean, <laughs> he's just yeah. He 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 his Q rating is through the roof. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's anything he can't do. Uh, obviously, his post playing career, he's had pretty varied interests, and you know, co owner of the Kraken. Like, is he? Come but, on. He's in the ownership yeah, group. Yeah, yeah. he's he got a stake in the Kraken. That. And just as a player, I guess I should have actually just like, what a fun player to watch. Like, I just have so many memories of being at games in person back when I used to go more often, seeing some of those legendary runs in person. Actually, well, I would say Cam Chancellor was probably my second from that era, my favorite to watch Mm -hmm. in person. But yeah, Marshawn Lynch is just unreal. And that stadium gets so loud. So Crazy. EJ and I were at the Russell Wilson return game week one. We oh, wow. There. My organs were vibrating. That, like, I, I have so never been in a stadium that loud in my life. What was it like watching Gino week one? Were you guys just like, what is happening? Oh, and, and the ch- by the second quarter, the chants were going. Like, the whole place was rocking. Like, there was a lot of Denver fans in the stands. Like, you saw the awards yeah. and everything. Like, Midway through the second quarter, not a peep out of them. And it was probably only 70% Hawks fans there. And it was still the loudest stadium I've ever been in my life. Two days before that, I was in Austin for Bama, Texas with 110,000 people screaming at Bryce Young. That was still louder in Seattle. I have never felt anything like that. I watched that game week one in Bristol with um, my colleague, Ella Duncan, who's a Broncos fan (laughs) at her house. And her parents, who are like intense Broncos fans, were with us. And the whole time I was just like (laughs) dying on the inside laughing because I was like, this is our Super Bowl. Season's over. This is all (laughs) in the season went on to be great. But what what a fun night that was. Yeah. Yeah, it was truly impressive. I've probably seen... I don't know, 18, 20 games at that stadium used to have season tickets back in the day. And it gets loud all the time. It's known as one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. And I I told Brett, I was like, we had gone the year before when the Titans were in town. That was his first time there. And I was like, well, it's it's loud. He's like, yeah, it's loud. And we were both looking at each other during the, the Russ return game going, he's like, have you ever heard it this loud? I was like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I haven't. It was, it was intense. But... We can't thank you enough for taking the time to stop by Bootleg. We have to tell you that you were the first person we ever put on our bucket list before we even had a podcast. We met at 2020 at Senior Bowl, and we were sitting around and said, if, if we did something together, who would we get? First name off our lips, many times. Thank you so, so much. In for unison, me too. On. Uh, and you'll, you'll be hearing from my lawyers about the podcast name. But other than that, I enjoyed this. We'll do what we can. We'll, we'll pull Danny in, though, because Danny is a bootleg OG as well. We actually uh, had dinner with him uh, during that senior bowl. So, again, before great. we were even a podcast, my Danny guy. was a supporter. No, Danny's great. So, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we'll have you back again soon. Thank you once again, Amina, for coming on and chatting with us and being so gracious with her time. Uh, man. AJ, we've had a lot of good interviews uh, with a lot of people much larger in the sports media scape than we are. And uh, Mina was just the start. We still got more to come. It's amazing to be able to add her to this guest list, this slate, whatever you want to call it for draft season. We've got experts pretty much every week. And as far as expertise goes, it's going to be tough to top Mina. She is, as we said at the open, one of the best minds working in football analysis right now. 
incredibly lucky to have her drop by, uh, share all of her uh, wisdom and, and enthusiasm about the game. When it comes right down to it, she's a fan. She loves the draft as a process um, and loves thinking about it like we do in terms of translation of how all those skills move to the league, and that makes it a perfect fit. Now, in terms of what we have coming up for the rest of draft season, obviously more interviews with more experts, especially guys that uh, specialize in certain positions. Again, on Twitter, you'll get updates for that pretty quickly here. Uh, we did our live stream last week. We got another live stream coming up next week, the day after next week's episode drops. Uh, so keep an eye out for updates on that live stream time and date to come ask questions, talk draft, all that normal stuff that we're doing during these streams. Uh, by then, I'm pretty sure you will have been to UW's Pro Day, right, Ege? Indeed. By the time this probably comes out, I will have already been there, and you were at USC's swim meet. I mean, Pro Day. <laughs> okay, hold on. I got I to gotta talk about that. That was one of the rainiest days I've ever experienced as a Californian in 30 years. And, like, we've had rainy days and everything like that. But in terms of, uh, to borrow a term from my father, horse pissing on a flat rock, that's what it felt like out there. It was a monsoon, and then it broke for like an hour of sunlight, which they happened to like do drills during because they were trying to time it, and then it went right back to monsoon again. It was ridiculous, and we're all sitting out there on the bleachers, and the field is under an inch of water, and I was like, they're, they're doing the 40 in this? And, and we got word that their indoor facility is only about 40 yards long. So unless you guys want turning themselves into like, you know, pink mist on the wall, they're not doing a 40 inside. They're just going to run into the wall at full speed. So they're like, we got to do it outside. And, you know, I put out a tweet and, and I, I think people misinterpreted a little bit because they thought I was dunking on USC. And it's like, I'm not dunking on USC. Like they don't need an indoor facility because it's fucking California. Like, look at me behind this is blue skies. This is what it's like 330 days a year. But on the one day where they really needed it, they didn't have it. And so you had guys out there running 40s. And even when the field drained a little bit, it was still soggy. And I didn't even post any of the times. Like Travis Dye, the running back there, who I like a lot, you know, he's come, A, he's coming off injury, which is why he didn't participate at, at Shrine Bowl. He was just there for interviews. But he ran like a four seven one that I hand timed myself. And I'm like, I'm not post. Like, it's meaningless here. Like, no. He's running in a swamp. Like, what do you want me to get from this? So all I really got from it was just that all the scouts that were there for all 32 teams just kept looking at Caleb Williams. And I was like, yep, they're shopping for next year's model already. Like, that's what they're here for is let's go watch Jordan Addison run some routes and let's look at Caleb Williams. Yeah, it. people asked me, I was on the radio the other day and Ryan Leaf was one of the co-hosts and he said, what do you, what do you really get out of a pro day? What's a pro day for? And, you know, my answer was, it's basically to check boxes, right? All the boxes for tape. These guys haven't played games, meaningful games, in months. Uh, they are doing all their testing, and it's really just about, does what I see there either confirm or really make me wonder about something that I saw on tape, right? When we see Josh Downs go out and absolutely obliterate the three-cone at his pro day at North Carolina, we go, yeah, he had like a one four eight ten split at the combine, and you see him burning guys out of the break 
for the last two seasons. Yeah, confirmed. Check. It is about how they handle themselves. It is a lot of pressure, strangely, for a quote-unquote meaningless event that not a lot is really riding on in terms of final decisions. Guys get nervy about it. It is it is like a game-type atmosphere. You were talking about sitting in the bleachers at USC and that Caleb was there supporting his teammates. And when I was at Oregon State, it was the same way. There's probably 40 you know, Beavers sitting around watching all their guys and thinking about themselves out on that field in coming years and just cheering them on or whatever else, getting hyped about times. But, you know, your parents are there and your teammates are there and there's some media there. And obviously the entire array of NFL scouts and sometimes GMs and whatever else are there. Guys, guys get, well, they go one of two ways. And scouts see all that. Like scouts pay as much attention to these players between the drills in their downtime watching their interactions with their teammates and their parents and their agents and everything else as they do because they, they already have all the times they have their times from their junior year combine usually at their school and then they've got the nfl combine and then they've got all the game tape so that it doesn't give you a lot of new information about that running routes against air watching quarterbacks whip it you know 70 yards in the air when the average you know deep pass in the nfl doesn't go more than like 48 yards it's, it's not, not even <laughs> yeah it's not super meaningful that way but there is a lot of stuff that you can pull out of it and all those campus connections for all those folks that are coming out next year and hey who's that kid and you know hey that guy looked pretty good on tape would he run in your junior combine those things are really meaningful um but it is it's an interesting environment and it's different at every school some of them are very media friendly some bar the media you know some bar agents it's it is very each to their own um so it's a fascinating part of a otherwise i think fascinating process honestly you know what i got the most out of usc pro day um there was a player there again supporting his teammates um uh, and he's an offensive lineman who is either going to start at right tackle or left guard. His name huh. is Cooper Lovelace. Oh, uh, he He's a Kansas City native, got to football late, started playing senior year of high school, went through JUCO in Kansas, which for people who don't know, Kansas JUCO is like the SEC of JUCO. Like uh, so many great players come out of Kansas JUCO. And so he had offers from Florida State, Mississippi State, Auburn, uh, USC. Like, he could have gone anywhere, right? Went to USC. And talking to him, and, you know, he's a big fan of Brandon Thorne, because what offensive lineman isn't. So we were talking about Brandon, and, uh, you know, he, he had watched my channel before. And I sat there and talked to him for about an hour just learning about him. And what I didn't realize is I, I saw a video a long time ago of an offensive lineman doing the splits. And it was him. And I was like, oh, my God, that was you. And you get more information about him. And you, okay, he's 6'5", 300, former gymnast, former swimmer, never gets hurt because he's super flexible, has great feet because, again, gymnast, uh, has crazy core strength, cross-trains at all five positions, calls protections. Like, that was what I got out of USC Pro Day. It wasn't the guys there. It was I'm going to watch a lot of Cooper Lovelace next year. Like, that's that's the value of it. And I think that's why scouts go, too. Yeah, fully agree. It's it's the whole sort of halo effect, watching how guys react to good days, to bad days, watching how teammates react to their other teammates. Just an aside from the Oregon State one, uh, Luke Musgrave is the coolest cucumber under the sun. <laughs> like, he was 
the entire day and it's a, it's a long day you got lifts and you got to move across and you got runs and then you know you have uh team specific stuff that teams want to see you do scouts run these events it's not the schools the schools sort of turn it over to the scouts and the scouts run the program for each different position so you've got scouts wanting to see his blocking or his combo blocking or certain routes or how he catches the ball his get off whatever it is there's a there's a lot going on and he was relaxed joking came by the the ropes a couple times where i was and he was just like man look at all this it's it's nuts it reminds me of the old joe montana story you know biggest drive in the super bowl and he talks to one of his guards he says hey man it's not john candy (laughs) like it's it's like what are you talking about man we got a game he's like yeah just coolest cucumber under the sun he is there's i don't think there's probably anything to shave that guy because it wasn't false it wasn't you know he was just he's just easy go lucky like pure and simple so you you do pick up on a lot of extra stuff at pro days yeah it's valuable but not for the reasons you think there you go it's it's not even about the times it's not even about the times at all all right well that'll do it for today's show again we're going to have another episode and a live stream next week our guest is tbd but we have quite the list coming up Uh, our positional rankings are coming up very soon we're going to try to get those out early to mid-April. Those will be over on the Bootleg Patreon for all of our patrons. Uh, And once again, thank you to our executive producer tier over on Patreon, Marat, Consti, Caden, Andrew, Taylor, Liam, Connor, Joey, and Mike. We appreciate all you guys and everything you do to support the show and making all of this possible. With that, EJ, let's get out of here. Take care. (laughs) 